You're listening to a message from Whitefields Community Church in Northern Colorado. For more information and audio content, visit us at whitefieldschurch.com. Hey, you guys know about Project Back to School. It's our annual outreach to the foster care community, children and their caretakers who are in foster care. Uh, this week is our, our wrap-up. This Over the next couple days, we're going to be delivering these uh, backpacks that you guys have donated and brought in all the supplies to help these at-risk kids. And I've been telling you some statistics the last couple weeks about why these kids are in such great need and why this is such an important ministry. So we had been asked by Weld County Health and Human Services to take on 135. We came really, really, really close to meeting that goal. And so if you're like, hey, I can still do some, or maybe you didn't and you wanted to, and you're like, I keep forgetting, we got about 15 left to be covered. Now, if those don't get covered by you, the church is going to cover them. But if you would like to use that opportunity to say, hey, I didn't do one, but I meant to, so let me jump in on that. We got 15 left. Make sure to visit the welcome table in the back. Hey, this past weekend, so Friday and Saturday, I was part of a Seminar. So it's an intentional training seminar for young aspiring men and women who, who would like to learn and be trained in how to preach God's word. It's called the Expositors Collective. It's kind of a thing that me and uh, some other friends of mine, pastor friends from around the country and, and even outside the country, have been working on. We had our first event in March and our second event was in Aurora this past weekend. So we had almost 100 uh, young people come out for this who wanted to be trained in how to preach and teach well. And one of the guys who's part of this is with us today. I invited him to come. So Mike Neglia from Cork, Ireland. If you guys give him a welcome. Nice to have you here, Mike. It is good to be here. <laughs> yes. So, yeah, it's, it's fantastic to be here. It's my, my first extended stay uh, in Colorado. The past couple days uh, were fantastic uh, in Aurora, but, you know, best is happening right now. I'm so glad to be here uh, in Longmont uh, with you. And I'm going to be sharing um, a topic that uh, doesn't get addressed very much, but uh, I'm going to be speaking about the fear of the Lord, and I'm going to be primarily using uh, the book of Proverbs and so if you have a Bible, if you want to open it up to Proverbs, we're not going to be honing in or drilling into one verse particularly, but kind of looking at a lot of them. So get your fingers, get your fingers stretched, because we're going to be flipping pages, or there also is a slideshow. But I think sometimes it's good to flip pages yourself, to get acquainted uh, with the middle section uh, of your Bible. Nick mentioned that there was people from around the country and also around the world uh, that were involved. Um, and, and that's me. I'm the token uh, foreigner. I grew up in the United States, but uh, 15 years ago I moved to Ireland. And so I've been living in Ireland for 15 years. Um, my wife and I have uh, three kids, all of which were uh, born uh, in Ireland in the city of Cork. And um, yeah, that's been our home. So I came there as a kind of a youth assistant intern uh, in a small struggling uh, church plant. And then after a couple of years of uh, struggling, uh, I took over. I was asked to take over, and we kind of replanted it um, back in uh, October of 2005. Uh, myself, my wife, and about three other people, um, we, we met on Sunday mornings. Uh, my wife had our son in November, so we had church growth in the first month. <laughs> 
And then we didn't see a lot of church growth for quite a while afterwards. But um, yeah, it's just a matter of just, you know, stubbornness and sticking it out. And the Lord is, uh, is really blessing uh, what's going on now. I'm really just privileged to be part of, uh, of a church called Calvary Cork in Cork, Ireland. So pray, pray for us if you want to. We'd, we'd love your prayers. Okay, so as I was flying from Cork to here, I, I got my seat assigned to me. And I was fortunate to get an aisle seat. And then next to me was a, um, a husband and a wife. Uh, or, a, or a partnership. I didn't, I didn't inquire of their, their legal status, but um, a, a romantically involved um, older gentleman and uh, uh, older lady. She was nervous. She was really nervous. Um, lately, I've been traveling. I guess I travel kind of a lot, and even this past year, I've been on a lot of airplanes. And then I was, you know, one person across or one person next to a, a very nervous, a very frightened woman. And her husband or her partner um, was caring. He was holding her hand. He was rubbing her, you know, and just, and just telling her. And he was even, like, you know, giving her, just, you know, just telling her truth. You know, there's nothing to worry about. I'm here with you. You know, you're, you're actually safer um, in an airplane than you are in a car because statistically more cars crash than airplanes crash. Um, and, and, you know, it's all those kind of things. And so he's, he's trying to, to help her through this. And we, we took off, and that was, you know, kind of, you know, traumatic or dramatic um, for her. But then up we went. And, you know, a few, a few um, bits of turbulence here and there. But then when we came time to descend, again, again like, like the fear was rising up once again. Um, incredibly nervous, you know. So, yeah, the back rubs were, were taking place. And, uh, and then I could see, I guess, kind of why, why she was scared. She started, she started to throw up, and she filled up her bag. She filled up his bag. He tapped me, and I was like, okay, here you go. And I, and I gave him mine. But it was, it was this very, like, just emotional roller coaster. It was this journey um, for her that involved, like, a lot of fear. And maybe it was either her fear that was making her sick, or, or maybe she was scared because she knew she was going to be sick. Uh, but, you know, like, but statistically, like, her, her husband, her partner, he was right. Like, it's actually, you're actually pretty safe while you're in an airplane. But so she had this deep fear of something that maybe she shouldn't have been feared of. This morning, I want to talk to you about something that a lot of times people don't have fear of, but perhaps they should. So I'm going to be talking to you about the, the fear of God. Many people have no fear of God in their hearts, but perhaps they should. There's a lack of fearful respect for our maker and our sustainer. So I'm going to talk about what it is, what it isn't, some benefits that come from those that fear the Lord, and then how this will change us as we engage. So, but before we do that, uh, I'd love to, to pray. Would you pray with me that we can tackle a, an uncomfortable or an uncommon topic uh, in a way that does honor to the Lord himself and also respect to one another? So our Father, it's been, it's been good to sing your praises. It's been good to um, listen to words of truth, Lord, that we get to sing together and that I can hear uh, my neighbors sing along, Lord. It's a good thing. Father, I pray that as we broach this topic of what it means to properly and reverently fear you, uh, that you would use Proverbs and scriptures and Holy Spirit, that you would work in us to bring about a greater understanding and a proper revelation of who you are. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So as I mentioned, we're going to be looking at a few different passages, and there's some slides to help us, uh, but I'm just going to read some of what Proverbs teaches us about the fear of the Lord. Proverbs 1.7 says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Proverbs 8 teaches us that the fear of the Lord 
is hatred of evil. Proverbs 9 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. Proverbs 14 tells us that the fear of the Lord, sorry, in the fear of the Lord, one has strong confidence and his children will find refuge. He summarizes in his other book, Ecclesiastes, the the sequel, I suppose, uh, to Proverbs, he says this, he says, the end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. I love those kind of summary verses that we find sometimes uh, in the Bible. You know what? I've come to the end, he says, and here's the big idea. Fear God and keep his commandments. That's what the Lord requires of you. Every once in a while, I love when the Bible just kind of summarizes itself. And then here we have one of those instances. So as we've seen from Solomon's pen, both in Ecclesiastes, but primarily from the book of Proverbs, you've seen, you've heard that there are benefits for those who fear God. And then you've seen and and you've heard that there's warnings for those who do not. So I think it's important. And so first off, I'd love to try to define um, what fear is. And oftentimes when I want to know what a word means, I just open my my laptop, I hit command spacebar, and there's a little tab that opens and I type it in, and then it's the Apple Dictionary, and it gives me a definition. I use it all the time. I'm a very curious person and I love words. And so Apple Dictionary told me that fear is an unpleasant emotion caused by the threat of danger, pain, or harm. And I would, I would say that it's good to look at Apple Dictionary sometimes uh, to define terms, but I think that there's use for theological dictionaries. I think there's use for Bible dictionaries. Uh, because although the, the primary understanding of the English word fear is like the woman on the airplane, or it's, it's a fear that maybe we've experienced, danger of pain or harm, you know, theologians, after studying the scriptures, have said that actually the word fear in the Bible is used in two different ways. Medieval theologians speak about the difference between phileal fear and servile fear. Don't worry about those words. <laughs> but, but basically the difference is that, that there's a, a quivering, frightened dread, and that's servile fear. It's, it's the way that a prisoner awaiting his torturer feels in his prison cell when he hears footsteps coming down the hall towards him. And phileal fear is rather a reverence. It's a deep-seated respect. And beyond that, it's a desire not to disappoint. And so maybe as an illustration of this, let me just tell you a story about my my kids. Um, I have three kids. Um, I have Finn, who is eight months old. I have Rosie, who is uh, three months old. Sorry, three years old. It doesn't work that way. And actually, actually her name is is, uh, Rosemary. And then when I met uh, Pastor Nick's wife, um, Rosemary, in the first conversation, I was like, I'm going to like you. I am, I'm genetically predisposed to like people named Rosemary. And you know what? She hasn't disappointed. She's a great woman, isn't she? Um, but so I have, I have Finn, I have Rosemary, and then I have Owen, who's uh, 12 years old. Um, and so uh, there's, it's, it's been uh, uh, great to, to parent these kids in their various uh, diverse uh, ages. Um, but for Owen, as he's 12 years old, I'm going to tell you about how I, how I discipline him uh, versus how I discipline my daughter, uh, Rosemary. Um, it's getting harder and harder to discipline uh, my son. I feel a little bit at liberty to speak because like, he's not in the next room in Sunday school, like how am I, am I, am I regular preaching 
place is. Um, but it's getting more and more difficult to, to discipline him. He seems to care more about what he wants to do than any consequence that I could bring, that I could rain down uh, upon him in love as his parent. Um, so he has um, autism, and he also has some other uh, intellectual challenges. So his brain, it doesn't work in the way that, that mine does. It's kind of fixated on certain things, and so he'll fixate on something. I want that. You know, he, he likes to steal food. I'm going to steal that stick of butter. And he just gets that in his head. And, and he is going to, for his whole life has been doing this, he decides, I'm going to do this. And no matter what the consequences, he's going to do it. Like he takes the advice of Jesus, where Jesus says that you're to, to count the cost and just go ahead and do it no matter what, no matter what the consequences. And so he decides that it's worth it to do X, Y, or Z, X, Y, or Z. Um, no, no matter what, I'm going to do it. And then disciplining him becomes harder and harder. There's, there's not a consequence. There's not a, a TV show that I could take away. There's not a bedtime too early um, that will keep him from taking that butter, okay? So pray for us again. He's 12, and I've heard these terrible rumors that it actually gets harder after 12. So, um, yeah, so keep, our, keep us in your prayers. And then, but disciplining Rosemary, I call her Rosie, is getting, at the same time, easier and easier. Um, we've got a really special kind of, you know, daddy-daughter uh, relationship that, that I, just, I just love to pieces. And, and she wants to please me like more than anyone has ever wanted to please me in my whole life. And if I ever raise my voice, if I even like say something in a, in a, sharpest of, in a sharp tone, then like she already is repenting. <laughs> she already is like, you know, oh, daddy, I'm so sorry. Dad, I'm sorry. Um, you know, dad, you used your strong voice. Um, she says, you know, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. So I don't know if you've ever experienced that. Maybe some of you have, maybe some of you haven't. And I'm not going to say, oh yeah, we all know that feeling. No, maybe we don't. But if you have, or if you can imagine it, please import that into the Bible's understanding, Bible's use of the fear of the Lord. That she, she adores me, I adore her, and she just does not want to do anything that is going to displease me. So, the word fear in English kind of has those two connotations, but primarily uh, the other one. But, but in Hebrew, the word is yara. It's used 330 times in the Bible. Sometimes it refers to that first kind of fear, quivering terror. And then sometimes it's used for that second kind of tear, um, fear, awe or respect. People are scared of things and people. Jacob fears Esau. Sailors fear the wind and the waves. Soldiers fear enemy troops. Then that same word is also used for those who experience a different kind of emotional reaction. It speaks about a person who's in an exalted position, and those, uh, I guess, in their presence, they feel this awe and reverence. It's not just fear, it's, it's reverence. It's a person recognizes the power and the position of the revered one and renders proper respect. Uh, it's the feeling that, that maybe you would have in the presence of a, of a mighty athlete, and you've followed his or her career for a long time. You know all the stats, and then here they are. Uh, maybe it's the way that you would feel if the CEO of the company you know, comes to visit your branch. 
Maybe it's the way the people of Longmont felt when Teddy Roosevelt made his famous stop <laughs> um, for, I guess, 10 minutes in Longmont, and they, they built him two statues. That's a joke. I'm trying to learn, like, Longmont culture. <laughs> We're in Teddy Roosevelt Park, anyway. So anyway, it's just this reverential awe. And, and, and the way that we use awe, and, and I would say even particularly the way that we use the word awesome is very loose today. And I'm just going to say hands up, like, I was born and raised in California. So I realize I'm actually part of the problem. <laughs> you know, there was a time, let's say, I don't know, in the 40s, 50s, or, or for the, the, dec- the, the millennia beforehand, when awesome meant you stood in reverent awe of somebody. And then in the Southern California surfer culture, awe meant, awesome meant a, a sick wave, uh, a, a nice sandwich. <laughs> uh, it could even mean fine. How are you? Awesome. Uh, maybe, maybe this is the time to just say, let's take that word back. Let's reserve that word for what truly is awesome. There's a book by Jerry Bridges, and he had, wrote a book called The Joy of Fearing God. He says awe is an emotion which dread, adoration, and wonder are intermingled. It's, it's like a tornado. If you're looking at it from a safe distance, you could say it's, it's bigger than me. It's more powerful than me. You could watch it, and it's, it's mesmerizing because it's so rare and, and different. But also, you know, it's, it could be terribly destructive. We're in awe of it. Like a grizzly bear that has the power to tear you to pieces. So we, we are fearful of bears and that we, we treat them with respect. Maybe the way that a, that a hiker or a hill climber has this reverential fear or awe of the mountains understanding what the untamed wilds can do, or knowing that 14,000 feet is actually really, really high. That's a long way to tumble down if you tumble down. So that's maybe my attempt at saying, what is this awe? What is this fear? And that why? Why should we do it? I mean, we should do it because A, it's right. B, it's honoring to him. See, it's like, it's reverent, and it's holy, and it's proper. I mean, he does not stand in reverent awe of us. We stand in reverent awe of him. But then here's, here's this, all that and more, God rewards those who fear him. Like, you know what? It's right and you should. But in addition to that, God says, I want to show you the riches of my blessing, especially towards those who fear me. We're going to power through some of those verses in Proverbs and see some of the, the rewards, the blessings, the gifts that God gives to those who fear him. We see it's the beginning of wisdom. It is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Knowledge of the Holy One is insight. The fear of the Lord is instruction in wisdom, and humility comes before honor. So just as much as the alphabet is the first thing you need to know before you even consider reading a book, just as much as notes are essential before you start playing music, Just as much as numerals are important to mathematics, if you are an aspiring mathlete, um, then you need to first, before you get into the equations, you need to know what the numerals are. If you're interested in computers, you've got to know code. So the fear of the Lord is the beginning to wise living, to living skillfully in God's world under God's rule. So if you want to know how life works, if you want to be skillful in life, it begins with knowing that there's a great and powerful, and I'll say it, an awesome God. And he is great and powerful, 
and we are not. We teach this song to our kids. We are weak, but he is strong. That's the first step in a wise life. Also, we see not only is that the first step in knowing wisdom in God's world, also it's the motivation for our holiness. Maybe that's one of the first things that we guess when we think about what, what good could the fear of the Lord be in our, in our lives. It says, be not wise in your own eyes, but fear the Lord and turn away from evil, Proverbs 3, 7. By steadfast love and faithfulness, iniquity is atoned for. By the fear of the Lord, one turns away from evil, Proverbs 16 says. So these verses tell us that the, the fear of the Lord promotes holy living. The person who truly reverences, that truly respects the Lord as he should, will not do anything that brings dishonor or disgrace or pain to the heart of the Lord. Or maybe that would bring grief to the heart of the Lord. People who genuinely fear the Lord will flee from evil. They'd say the prospect of bringing disgrace upon his holy name is too much to bear. There's another phrase from the medieval theologians that uh, I think is quite meaningful to me. Um, the phrase is, uh, it's corum Deo. Have you heard that? It's a Latin phrase and it means before the face of God. Uh, they're saying that, that Christians ought to live with this awareness, not that God is distant and abstract, not that he's just somewhere near, but we are before his face and that we live under his gaze. And that on Sunday mornings in this building or another building, that we're before his presence. On Tuesday afternoon, you are before his presence. That there's a quorum Deo, that we're always before the face of God. On a, not on this trip, but on a previous trip, I, um, I, I called uh, my wife. I used uh, FaceTime, which if you're familiar with, it's like Skype. You, you know, you, you're able to, the video chat, a live video chat. <clears throat> And so I phoned, I was able to, to speak to my wife for a little bit, it's really nice to reconnect. And then she says, you know, oh here, um, Rosie wants to talk to you. And so she gives the phone uh, to Rosie, and, uh, and Rosie takes the phone, and she kind of goes up the stairs, and it's like, you know, and you, it's, it's shaking everywhere. Um, and she, she brings the phone upstairs, and she actually has a few of her toddler friends upstairs in her room. And so she's talking to me, hi Dada, how are you? Da, da, da. We're talking back and forth. Um, and, then, and then we're talking for a while, and then she says, okay Dada, I have to go. And say, okay, bye, sweetie. And then she puts the phone down. And she doesn't know how to turn it off, you know, and, and she doesn't care. And so she, she puts the phone down, and then she turns, and she plays with her toddler friends. And they're playing, they're, they're you know, sharing toys, they're climbing up on the bunk bed, and they're, they're jumping off. And the whole time, I'm able to just, like, look and see the ceiling, and I could hear everything. And I'm just like, wow, this is what kids do when their parents aren't in the room. This is what's going on. And, and I was able to, like, quite literally be like this hidden camera, like, as a silent observer into what's going on in the, in the privacy, in the privacy, in the privacy of, like, her room with her bed, um, in her bedroom with her friends. And I listened for quite a while, and then after a while, I was like, okay, I actually have to go do real things. So it pained me, but I was like, okay, I have to, I have to hang up. And so I hung up and eventually got back to, like, you know, the jobs at hand. So here's a question, and forgive the cheesiness of this, but, but what if God FaceTimed you? Um, what if there was, like, this live video feed, and you and the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the maker and sustainer, the author and finisher, was, was speaking to you? And, and then let's say there was no hang up. There was no off button. 
and, and, and you spoke together and you couldn't hang up, what would you do differently? How would you speak to your spouse? How would you manage your finances? How would you occupy your free time? I don't need to belabor the point, but I think you get it, you know? And the reality is, that is the case. There is quorum Deo. You are before the face of God. FaceTime or not, you are before the face of God. So the fear of the Lord is motivation for holiness. Not only personal holiness, but also fuels our evangelism, also fuels our ministry one to another. I don't think there's a slide for this one, but in uh, 2 Corinthians 5.11, it says, Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. Knowing that, that he's there, that he's big, that he's great, that he's before our very faces, says that we persuade others. Now, Paul doesn't say, who are these others? You know, perhaps it means persuading the fellow citizens of this great city or this great county persuading them to turn from sin and to trust in Christ. That it's not optional or eventual, that it's not one way amongst many, but urgent. Trust in him and trust in him today. Trust in the dying and rising Savior, Christ. So therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But maybe also the others is not those, you know, hypothetically out there, but it's hypothetically the ones that are in here, that we persuade others. Persuade others in Whitefield's church to, to walk close to Christ, to keep a short account with God. You know, I, I love that hymn, and it, it hurts me because it's so true every time I sing it. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. And I'm so thankful for the friends and the, the co-leaders in my life that, that persuade me, that say, you know, Mike, I'm, I'm seeing patterns in you, and, and I don't like them, and, and I know that you don't like them either. And, and taking this forward, this is going to be damaging to you, and, and knowing the fear of the Lord, we, we persuade it. And so I, I hope that we're a community of people, that you're a community of people that, that knows the fear of the Lord and also persuades others. I'm following him. Do you want to follow him with me? You're, you're wandering. Do you, want to, do you want to come back to the folds with me? motoring on a bit, a bit faster, uh, we also see that the next thing is that the fear of the Lord can be the source of our confidence. We live in kind of a, a crippling, self-doubting age. Wouldn't it be great to be instilled or infused with confidence? Guess what? In the fear of the Lord, there is strong confidence, and his children shall have a place of refuge. Proverbs 14, 26. Understanding God, understanding his world, well, it means that we can have this confidence in him. And again, just what a reminder that this is not that, that misunderstanding of the fear of God, that we, we quake in quivering fear before him, anxious about what he might do next, but we're able to properly understand him as much as he has revealed himself and stand confidently. Also, we see, like, can you believe how much there's here? Proverbs 19.23 says that the fear of the Lord is our satisfaction and our safety. 1923 says, the fear of the Lord leads to life. Whoever has it rests safely. He will not be visited by harm. The person who lives in the fear of God will be a satisfied person. And if I could just be a bit, a bit frank or a bit, um, I don't know, honest, I'm not at my home church, so I'm like, I could just say anything. <laughs> I'm not going to see these people next week. <laughs> um, I found that it is a lot easier 
to please God than to please people. And, and, and if you're like me and have a, a tendency or an inbuilt, almost like compulsion to make sure everyone around you is, is kind of happy, you, maybe, maybe you know it's a lot of work and it's never ending. And it's, it's you're like that, that rat on the treadmill and there's someone else to please and there's someone that you used to please and now they're not pleased with you anymore. And so you're on and on, you never know what's the next thing. If it's internal, if it's external, I'll say it again, though, it's a lot easier to please God than it is to please people. It can be exhausting to try to make everyone else happy. But if by faith we trust in the Lord and in his promises, we can know that we have his pleasure and we have his approval. I think a great picture of this and something that always kind of I, I, I consciously bring to mind, because I need to hear this uh, so much for myself, is the uh, baptism of Jesus. Um, goes to the Jordan River. Uh, his cousin, John the Baptist, is there. And, and perhaps you know the story. It's one of the more well-known stories um, in the Bible. He, he goes under the water, and then as he comes out, so that, that heaven breaks open. The Gospel of Mark says that heaven is ripped open schizo there's a schism in heaven it's torn open and a voice of the god of god says this is my beloved son with whom i am well pleased like like first off i just i love that just full stop i love it no matter what but also when i realize this is before jesus had performed a single miracle this is before jesus preached his first sermon or put on the Expositor's Collective Sermon Workshop (laughs) Um, before he atoned for the sins of the world, before his ministry began, he began from a position of being affirmed by God as being loved and having the pleasure of God. And believer, in him, that is you. That is your reality. The Father is well-pleased with Christ. And because of that, he is well-pleased with you. Or maybe to say it a more provocative way, the Father is well-pleased with you because he is well-pleased with Christ. That positionally we are in him and all that he has in ours and we are seated in him or with him in the heavenly realms and that pleasure of the Father that's not based on performance, that's not based on earning, nor deserving, nor achieving, that at the very beginning is a place of love and acceptance. You need to know that. God loves you. The great theologian Johnny Cash um, says that the wealthiest person is a pauper at times compared to the man with a satisfied mind. The wealthiest person is a pauper at times compared to the man with a satisfied mind. The fear of the Lord leads to life and whoever has it rests satisfied. But wait, there's more. (laughs) And here's a list of some of what the Psalms say. Again, there's there's more and I'm not even going to read the whole list, okay? But here's just some of it. God's great goodness is stored up for those who fear him. Uh, The Lord has compassion on those that fear him. He delights in those that fear him. 
And so those are some of the benefits, some but not all, of the benefits that come from fearing the Lord. But the question is, okay, well, what does that mean? <laughs> what is, how does that feel? And um, allow me just to, to reference uh, just a story that I'd wager that some of you, maybe most of you, have, he- have heard this one before. But in C.S. Lewis's uh, famous novel series, The Chronicles of Narnia, um, you know, when I was a kid, my mom, uh, she read all seven of those uh, to me, and it was great to be able to read those to my son, Owen, um, all seven of those to him, and I'm looking forward to, with Rosemary and Finn, being able to read those great books. But in that first book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, there's the Pevensey children, they're from England, and they stumble through a wardrobe, and they end up in this, like, magical land where animals talk, and there's a wicked witch, and uh, you, I'm assuming that most of us know, know the story, um, but they're on their way, they're looking for help from, from the king, Aslan, and they, they, they meet these talking beavers, you know, of course they do, <laughs> and they meet these talking beavers, and uh, Mr. Beaver um, tell the children that they're going to accompany them into the presence of King Aslan. Uh, Lucy Pevensey says, well, is, is he a man? Is Aslan a man? Said Mr. Beaver sternly. Uh, certainly not. He is the king of the wood and the son of the great emperor beyond the sea. Don't you know he's the king of the beasts? Aslan is a lion. Not just a lion, the lion, the great lion. Oh, said Susan. I thought he was a man. Is, is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. That you will be, dearie. Make no mistake, said Mrs. Beaver. If there's anyone who can appear before Aslan without their knees knocking, they're either braver than most or they're just plain silly. Oh, okay, so he isn't safe, Lucy asked. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Don't you hear what Mrs. Beaver is saying? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. Let me repeat that last line. Who said anything about safe? Of course he's not safe, but he's good. Preachers love that story. <laughs> I bet you've heard it in a sermon before because preachers just can't help ourselves from quoting that because it's so good, isn't it? But just a reminder, reminds the biblical truth that, that we serve an untamable, mighty, powerful God. He made us. We didn't make him. He's beyond our understanding, but yet he's not outside of our grasp because he has come down to us that we can know him, but on his terms, not on ours. And so what happens if we don't fear the Lord? We heard this already, but the answer to that, quite bluntly, is that if we don't fear the Lord, then we become fools, or we show ourselves to be fools. Proverbs 1.7 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. So if we have a view of life and the world that tells us that we are a big deal, and that God is small and insignificant, then by definition, we are ignoring or we are denying the most foundational truth in the universe. And there's no wisdom for truth deniers of that capacity. And so A, what happens if we don't fear the Lord? It'll show us to be foolish. And then B, the second answer, and this is, this is key, if we don't fear the Lord, we're going to become frightened by lesser things. 
say it again, if we don't fear God, then we'll be frightened by lesser things. In the book of Samuel, we have the king by the name of Saul, and Saul is shown over and over again to be a man who feared the people rather than the one who fears God. He's supposed to be their leader, but he is desperately clutching for their approval. He's willing to make sacrifices and compromises in order to please the ones that he fears the most, his subjects. It's a really interesting glimpse into human character. And in 1 Samuel 15, 24, not going to get into all the, the context, but he says to Samuel, I have sinned, for I have transgressed the transgression of the Lord and your words, because I feared the people and I obeyed their voice. Rather than the fear of the Lord, it was the fear of man that proved a snare for him, clutching for their approval. I'll do anything to keep them happy. Rather than the bigger question is, what would make God happy? And there's not much time for this, but the, the Pharisees are described in the New Testament as those that feared man rather than fearing God. Matthew 14 and 21 and 27 uh, speaks about their, their seeking of approval from the people, trying to please the people rather than please God. And there's a, a verse up there about how they feared the crowds. And so because of that, they, they did the wrong thing. So those are some examples, and, and, and there's more. And I know there's probably people in this room that say, oh, yeah, that's me. Yeah, I, I, I just am, I crave affirmation so much. I fear people more than I fear God. But here's some on the screen, too. So you're not alone, okay? <laughs> you're not alone, but here's what you need to do. When you feel that fear, that anxiety rising up, say, you know what? I fear God. I fear God, so I don't need to fear anything else. Final thought, how do we fear God? Why? What if we do? What if we don't? How do we do it? I quoted a Johnny Cash song. Let me, let me quote another song, and you know this one. It was grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. So there's that terror of the Lord, which perfect love casts out. We don't live in cringing fear of God, but believer, we can boldly approach him with the confidence of an adopted son or an adopted daughter and able to have that awesome heavenly father. And it's all of grace. Grace teaches us the right kind of fear, and grace relieves us of the wrong kind of fear. Oswald Chambers says that the remarkable thing about fearing God is that when you fear God, you fear nothing else. Whereas if you do not fear God, you will fear everything else. So final verse, we're going to leave Proverbs. We're going to go to the book of Hebrews. I have like one and a half verses to read, and then we get to obey it on the spot. Isn't that exciting? We don't like have to make a plan or make a resolution. We can actually obey it on the spot. Hebrews 12, the last two verses of chapter 12. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. 
for our God is a consuming fire. He is not a tame lion, but he is a consuming fire. So, he doesn't say, so let's quiver and quake and be frightened. He says, in light of that, let's offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. We get to obey that right now because we have one more song (laughs) where we get to obey this. We're going to sing some familiar lines. We're going to sing, "'Twas grace that taught my heart to fear and grace my fears relieved." So let's sing that real loud. Let's make that a declaration of faith and belief and response. Grace teaches our heart the right kind of fear and casts out the wrong kind of fear. I'm going to pray, and then we get to sing that together. Lord, you are not small. You are not weak. You are not hidden. You are not dead. Lord, you are alive, mighty, big, powerful. You are here. Lord, you are in our very faces right now. Forgive us for believing the lies. Forgive us for breaking your commandments and and, uh, crafting an image of you that is less worthy than ought to be, Lord. I pray that you would just do some dethroning work in us right now. Lord, that lesser views of you would be cast out. And Lord, in addition to that, I pray that things that we fear, you know, I've mentioned the approval of others, I've mentioned a few things, Lord, but there's other things too, Lord. I pray that, that those fears that just kind of sit on our shoulders, that kind of cling to our back, I pray that they would be, I don't pray that we'd be fearless. I pray that we would fear the right things. And so, Lord, that those lesser fears can be cast away. Lord, the fear of you frees us from lesser fears. Do it now. Holy Spirit, free us from lesser fears, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to a message from Whitefields Community Church in Northern Colorado. For more information and audio content, visit us at whitefieldschurch.com. 